0: Well, this feels like a moment, doesn't it? After 26 and some years, and at least eight regularly borrowed venues, this is our last service together before we move into a permanent home. That's a moment. It definitely won't be our last time meeting in borrowed or rented spaces. Of that, I have no doubt because there's always more. There's more spaces and places in our city that need the power and the presence of Jesus, and we're always going to be the kind of community that say yes, whatever he asks, and wherever he asks us to go. So it's definitely a moment. It won't be our last moment, I promise you that, but it's important. And the next time we gather, as Andy said, we're gonna be in our own home we're going to celebrate, and it's going to be great. As Andy said, definitely catch uh, everything that we looked at last week. But today, as we continue to prepare our hearts and ourselves, I want to hold us in that same moment that Andy took us to last week. As the, as the children of Israel were camped right on the edge of the Jordan, I'm right on the edge of the creaky bit of this floor for the last time. That's better. As the children of Israel were right on the edge of the promised land, preparing to go in, preparing to to come out of a a decades-long season of wandering and waiting in the wilderness, which seems really apt, Um, we paused. And we looked at how they prepared their hearts. And again, we're just going to pause in that moment again. In the book of Deuteronomy, God's people are right there on the banks of the Jordan. They can see it. They can look across the river and see the promised land. And Moses, through the whole book, is preparing them to enter in. He's reminding them of who they are, of what God has promised them, of, of how they are to live in light of God's faithfulness to them and a whole lot more. It's amazing. It's a really powerful and a poignant moment, and it's a book that some of you might want to avoid, but it's really worth spending some time in. It's a really good book. There's a lot in there. But I want us for a moment to pause in what might seem like a slightly obscure part. Wouldn't be me if I didn't do that, right? Deuteronomy 17. If you want to turn with us, it'll be on the screen. Beginning at verse 14 says Moses, speaking to the people. When you enter the land the Lord is giving you and you've taken possession of it and you've settled in it and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you or one who's not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you're not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver or gold. How in the world has that got anything to do with moving into our new building, you might be asking? And that's a great question. We've won, we're going to vote for a king and a him for peace. We're not, we're not. Each time a nation appointed a new king or a new ruler, it was like a bit of a reset moment, like a, like a new start. And the people would wait with bated breath to see what the new king would be like. As the king went, generally so went the nation. And so they'd wait and they'd watch. Uh, and as, as Moses looks forward and he knows that the people aren't going to be satisfied with Yahweh, with God Almighty as their king, they're going to want to be like all the nations around them, he warns those future kings that they're not to be like all the other rulers. He gives them three very specific and maybe slightly obscure uh, instructions. He says, first, they're not to amass horses, which is actually really shorthand for an army army. They're not to place their security in the strength of their army. Not even revered horses and chariots from Egypt. They're not to rely on their own ability to protect themselves. They're not to take many wives, which apparently is a symbol for comfort and pleasure and joy. But it's also... Of strategic alliances with other nations, marrying daughters of rulers to essentially broker peace and to secure their standing. And they're not to do that. They're not to form allegiances and give their allegiance to other nations through marriage. And they're not to amass for themselves vast riches of silver. And gold. And we could delve into loads of the detail of why these things are important, but essentially all these are saying that the future kings of Israel, and by default the people, aren't to base their security, their significance, and essentially their hope in the things that the world around them does. A nation ruled by a king with a large army and lots of strategic marriages and alliances and deep reserves of wealth could seem pretty secure, right? It would seem to be able to look to the future with comfort and a high degree of hope. God says, no. That's not how I want you to live. That's not where I want you to place your security and your hope. I want it in me. King David echoes this so beautifully in Psalm 20. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They're brought to their knees and fall, and we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. Some trust or some put their hope in chariots and some in horses, but we hope, we trust, we cling to the name of the Lord, our God. Those of us who love and follow Jesus are called to view life through a different lens than the world around us. We're called to place our hope and our security in different things. Where's your hope at today? What is the thing that you look to and you think it's going to be okay because I have dot, dot, dot? Is it your bank balance? Your job? family? Your pension pot? Your social media likes? Your friends? Your title? Your role in church? What is it? What is your hope or your peace or your confidence placed (coughs) upon? Or what do you look at and think, I must be acceptable to God because dog, dog, dog. I give or I serve or I read my Bible every day or my Christians, were, my, my Christians were parents. My parents were Christians. Or answer whatever it is for you. What's your hope? What's your security? What's your comfort for the future placed upon? Or maybe you need to flip that question and ask why am I sitting here feeling a little hopeless this afternoon? Is it something from that list Bank balance, job, family, social media, whatever, that makes you feel like you're feeling. Like there's no security. There's no hope for the future. Either way, we are called not to place our hope on the things that the world around us does, not on horses or wives or gold, or the modern equivalents of jobs and titles and seeming success. We're called to place all our Hope on Jesus, on his provision, on his faithfulness, on his presence with us. Where's your hope at today? If that's poking at something for you, I would love a chance to pray with you afterwards. Um, But for right now, for this moment, I really felt it was important for us to ask as a church, where is our hope at BCB? In this moment, as we look at the moment in front of us, this transition, not across the River Jordan, but just down the road, around the corner, into the promised land of our own home, are we placing our hope in a building? Are we oh so subtly drifting into this mindset that once we get moved in, everything's going to be okay? Okay. If we can just get settled and get the right systems in place, get the right programs, get the right carpet and the right chairs, please, Jesus. And if we can get up and running and pick the right service times, like not 1 p.m. in the afternoon. And if we can, and if we can have coffee again, you know, sweet coffee, then it'll all be all right then we'll really start moving and we'll really start growing. And we'll not have to be embarrassed about inviting our friends to come to a weird school gym or rent a rented church hall. We'll feel like a proper church. Or maybe, as Andy touched on last week, some of us have our hope set on things feeling like we did before COVID, that we, if we can just get in across the road, then we can get back to the way it used to be and we'll feel more at peace and more ready to re-engage with all the things that we've put on the back burner with Jesus, here's the deal. The building's great, but it's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. Our frustrations with one another that we're avoiding dealing with and our anxieties and our stresses and our hurts and our pains and our doubts and our questions and our broken patterns of sin and our cynicism and our apathy aren't suddenly going to disappear when we can serve coffee again and have a full band. It's not going to happen. The building is great, but it's not Jesus. And it cannot and it will not bear the weight of our hopes and our fears. (coughs) Only Jesus can do that. Look where Moses points to future kings in Deuteronomy 17. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It's to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left, then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. This astounded me when I read it. Every new king was to write out for himself by hand a copy of the Torah, of the first five books of the Bible. He was to do it in the presence of or with the the support of the priests, but he had to write it himself. And then he was to spend time reading it and studying it every single day. Imagine how long that would take. Imagine how much cramp you'd have in your hand. Imagine being crowned king, the most powerful person, in the whole nation. And Job 1 wasn't declaring a manifesto or upping taxes or brokering a peace treaty with Egypt. And it's not starring the land for the choice of your bride, but instead it's hand-writing five books of the Bible. That would keep you humble, right? And we read this and we see the word law and we think a list of do's and don'ts. But what he was actually to write out was a story. It was the story of God with his people, the story of God's faithfulness, of his promises, of his mercy and care and deliverance. It was an intentional exercise in placing his and the nation's hope rightly on God, on his unchanging, unending, unwavering love. Some Trust in chariots and some in horses, but our trust is in the name of the Lord our God. The building is great, but it is not Jesus. And if we are called, it's, it's not where we're called to place our hope. As a community, we've got to resist with every fiber of our being, the temptation to believe that in two weeks' time we will have somehow arrived that we needed God in the wilderness in the wandering, homeless, fleming, fulled in years. But now that we have a home, we've got this. Have a seat, God. We'll take it from here. We have to resist that with every fiber of our being. This is a great moment in our story to intentionally, as Andy said, pause and remember God's faithfulness to us. He has brought us this far. He is going ahead of us, and our hope for the future, for all that BCV will one day be, is not in a building, but in him, in his sustaining presence with us wherever we step. Our hope is in him. Almost 10 years ago now um, a few of us felt stirred by the fact that those we were connecting with in our, our storehouse uh, environments, it's one of our compassion ministries here at BCB, they were finding it really difficult to make a jump to church on a Sunday. It was in a different part of town in a big room with a number of things that made it super tricky. And for some people, for some people to land with us. and So we started a little thing called Friday Church. It's church in our storehouse building, you guessed it, on a Friday, clever name. It's a beautiful and oftentimes chaotic part of our BCV family at Newton, the City Center, you're all invited, but over the years, we've stumbled into some little nuggets of liturgy, things that we cover or say every week, partly because they're really, really important truths, and partly because it's really tricky to find different ways of saying the same thing every week. Exhausting. One thing we say, one form or another, every week, is that church was never meant to be a building. It was never meant to be a service that we show up to, or an event that we attend and watch. First and foremost, church was always meant to be a family, a community centered around Jesus. Calling each other to follow him, laughing together, crying together, wrestling with how to somehow belong to each other despite all our many differences, and constantly pointing one another towards Jesus. And I feel for all of us at this moment in our story, this truth is really, really, really important. Church was never meant to be a building. If we cross the road in two weeks' time with our hope in a building, we are in trouble. Partly because no building could ever bear that weight, but also because it's probably not going to be all you're hoping and dreaming for. I can say with utmost authority, it's not perfect. Some of it will be beyond your expectations, and other bits will be decidedly underwhelming. It's not perfect. Parts of it are really, really beautiful. And I hope that something of it just causes your breath to catch a little bit. Parts of it are profoundly functional, limited by the shape and size and edge of the building, and I need to be really good stewards of a finite pot of money. And I am fully aware that parts of it probably won't be quite what it could have been. And the chances are, by two weeks' time, parts of it won't quite be fully finished. Some parts of it you will absolutely love. And I would imagine that most of us will have some parts that we don't. We'll wish something was a different color or a different style or a different layout. If we'd been asked, we'd have made different choices. And that's perfectly okay. There's nothing wrong with that. We're all unique individuals made in the image of a creative, dynamic God with likes and dislikes, with varying degrees of creative ability and giftings, and we all have opinions, and all that's really, really good. It's what makes life interesting. If we were all like me, it would be horrible. It means that we'll all have some sort of a mix of delight and maybe twinges of disappointment, and a few, why did they do that? And honestly, that's okay. That's okay. Let's be the kind of community that can process and journey those emotions together over the coming weeks and the coming months, but let's gently and lovingly remind one another as many times as is needed that our hope is not in a perfect building. It's in a perfect Jesus. That it's his beauty that can catch our breath if we look for it that it's his presence that can transform us and lead us in this next step of the journey. We're never going to be the kind of church that vote on the color of carpets or the type of chairs or the position of the podium, not because we're some sort of maniacal dictators. We're not going to vote for a king or queen, I promise. Not because we think no one else has any good ideas, but first and foremost, Our hope is not in getting our building just right. Our hope is not in chairs or carpets or podiums. Those things are great, and I think they're beautiful. But if a carpet keeps our feet off the concrete floor, and a chair doesn't hurt our bum and keeps it an adequate distance from said carpet, they've done their job, right? They've succeeded. The truth is, churches up and down this land for generations tend to fall out, or at least waste endless, endless hours debating things that really aren't that important in comparison to the calling that's on all our lives, to see the kingdom come, to see men and women and children from every conceivable background in every possible part of our city encounter the power and the presence of Jesus. To see person after person after person find freedom and healing and hope and peace in Jesus. That's what we're called to lay down our lives for. Every single one of us, that's what's truly, actually important to us as a community. If people come into our midst as we worship, and the thing that they remember is the color of our chairs, we probably feel that leading them to the feet of Jesus. The layout of the room sticks in their mind more than the welcome they received, we probably feel It's just not that heart important. Our hope is not in a building. The hope that we have to offer to the world around us and to this city, and there's another Greek, is not in a building. It's not in having this thing perfect. Every single one of us, whether you believe me or not, has unique worth. We each have gifts and abilities that are priceless. We all have a voice and we all have a role to play and we all have something to bring to the table uh, in seeing this community bring the order of heaven to the chaos of the broken world around us. It just might be something more important than chairs and carpets. I believe in you for more than that. We all have a role to play in bringing the hope of Jesus. Four weeks ago, on the way in on a Friday morning, one of our community encountered a man been rough in the streets of our city. They had no shoes or socks on, just somehow pink fluffy slippers. I don't know how that happens. And their heart broke, and they stopped with him and they tried to help him to our building, but he'd just taken something and he couldn't stand and they had to leave him there. As our team gathered, they prayed for him by name. Then they looked for shoes for him in our storehouse shop, but we didn't have the right size. So they went out and they bought some shoes and they bought some socks. And as they headed out on the streets again, as they do each Friday morning, they went looking for him. And they found him and they sat with him And they dressed him as he was in no fit state to help himself. And they spent time with him, hearing some of his story, praying with him, inviting him to come and join us for Friday church. And an hour later, as we finished our prayer meeting and got ready to start church, he wandered through our doors. Still under the influence of whatever he'd taken, but also declaring the wonder and the joy of his new shoes to all that would listen. And I watched as people in our community much more gifted than me, people with personal lived experience of his circumstances in their own story or the stories of people they love, just welcomed him, loved him, served him, gave their focus and attention to him. I watched with my heart both breaking and completely full. And as worship began, he was determined to stand with the community, but his body wasn't cooperating. His legs kept buckling under him from whatever he'd taken, and he kept sinking slowly towards the seat. And we let him know it was totally fine to sit, but he was determined. He was determined to stand. And so quietly, understatedly, the guy beside him, a guy whose story shares some similar themes, simply put his arm around this man's shoulders and held him up as they worshiped. And it felt to me like the kingdom come. And I can say with a high degree of certainty, that man will not remember the color of our chairs. Nor will he remember a single thing that was said or sung through a microphone. But I'm crazy enough to believe he will remember, maybe each time that he looks at his shoes, what it felt like to be loved to be welcomed, to be held in the presence of Jesus, to be one with those who at least on the surface seem completely other. And none of that was programmed or scheduled or planned or loaded. None of it was part of the running order of our church. None of it was in the plan. It happened because a handful of people in our community didn't come to church or for church They came as the church. They came eyes open, looking for moments where God might be at work. They came not seeing themselves as leaders or in charge or with some sort of designated rule, but simply as part of the body with something to bring. They carried him to church in their praying. They held him in the presence of Jesus with their love, their welcome and their support, and the room around them worshipped Jesus and created the kind of space where he could be encountered, and that's the church. That's what's happening in our kids' rooms and our youth rooms right no, that's what's happened for 26 years as we've showed up in random places with no idea what challenges we might find, and you better believe we've had a few. That's what's happened as we've sweated to clean floors and set our chairs and brew coffee and hide the mess and the chaos that was left for us. That's what's happened as we've done all we could to welcome people into spaces that weren't ours, and we fought for creative ways to be the church outside of a Sunday. And the way forward is lots, lots more of the same. Hopefully less sweating. Hopefully less coming into chaos from other organizations and buildings we don't own, but it's more of the same. What might happen if in two weeks' time we didn't come to church or show up for church but instead, what if we came as the church? Each one of us ready to bring whatever God has entrusted us with for the sake of the community around us. What if church wasn't a beautiful new space where we could you know, come a couple of times a week and rest and relax and love it, but what if instead it's who we are? It's how we view one another. It was something worth laying down our lives and our rights and our preferences for. What if we came as the church, our hope firmly pinned on Jesus and available to be shaped by him into his hands and his feet as we serve North Belfast and beyond? How might we live as the church? A couple of quick thoughts as we close. Firstly, if we're going to live as the church, we need to come. (laughs) You're needed. Like, you're needed. You carry something this community needs. I don't mean you beside you, I mean you. I mean you online. We need you. We need you. We need you to show up. Do I mean when we gather to worship on a Sunday? Yes, something profound and powerful has always happened when the church comes together in worship and in surrendered service of one another. So yes, come on Sunday, 10.30. It'll be great. Do I mean when we gather to pray? Absolutely. Your voice matters. Your wit in the wrestle of intercession matters. So come and pray. But I also mean every day, in whatever context you're placing. What does it mean to show up as the church in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your home, and on your social media feed, at each other's tables, in each other's text inboxes? What does it mean to show up for one another in prayer and on doorsteps? This city needs a church whose hope is firmly rooted in Jesus and who is willing to day in, day out, show up, lay down our lives, and take responsibility to usher in the kingdom, rule and reign, the kingdom, peace and joy and hope of Jesus wherever we are. So will you come? Secondly, in the profound words of Mr. Caban, come as you are. Church as it is meant to be is not a place for the perfect or the put together. It is not a place for the sure of heart and the certain of mind. It's not a place to hide our flaws, stuff down our doubts and our fears, mask over our brokenness, and be who we think everybody expects us to be. It's not to have a nice shiny building full of nice shiny people. To come as the church means to come in honesty and vulnerability. To admit we're struggling and still show up to be honest with our pain and let others hold us up, to wrestle with our questions and our fears and our doubts and our disappointments in community and to submit it all to Jesus, to gather one another to his feet and in doing so in vulnerability and honesty and humility to give others, other fellow broken human beings the ability and the permission to do the same. North Belfast does not need us to be slick and perfect and put together, and there is no danger of that. <laughs> That's 26 years has taught us anything. <laughs> it does not need that. They need us to show up with honesty and integrity, with vulnerability and humility, with servant hearts, and with a confidence that in Jesus there's always hope. So come. Come as you are. And finally, to come as the church, I think means to come as hosts. If we enter our new home with the mindset that we've arrived, that it's for us to enjoy and to rest in, I think we're going to miss so much. Of course, it's those things, and it'll be great, and we'll have so much joy and so much laughter and so much rest, and we'll find peace, and we'll find joy, of course we will. To come as the church means to take on the role of host. All throughout scriptures, we see language of God as a yearning host. Setting the table, throwing the banquet, inviting the guests into his home, and we're called to do the same. On the rare occasion that I choose to be fun and I go to a party, I think of how I might have a good time. But when we throw a party in our home, we think about cleaning the house, Laurie does. <laughs> I forget that and then I help. We, we think about preparing food and drink and greeting people at the door and connecting those who don't know anyone else in the room and endlessly circling the house all night long, making sure people are okay and cleaning up in the wee hours after people have left. Yeah, we, we have a good time. But primarily, it's actually not about us when we host. But we love it. Is much deeper than having a nice time ourselves is the joy and the fulfillment and the peace that comes from knowing that lots of others did because we hosted. It's a different kind of joy. What if we all, every one of us, whether this is your first Sunday with us or not, what if we entered our new home as owners, as hosts, ready and willing to receive others? to look out for others, to connect and serve, to give up our seat if needed, or our space in the coffee queue, or our space in the car park, so that others could feel welcomed in and others might ultimately find healing and home in Jesus. Bless you to be hosts, whether you think you have the right or not whether you've ever been on a or not, whether you've ever been with us before or not, bless you to be hosts, to welcome others in. This is a moment, it's a big moment, but it won't be our last moment. And it won't be our best of that, I'm sure. This is not an end. We've walked long and faithfully as a community to this point. You've served Jesus and one another and this city so well without a place to call home. <coughs> let's not stop now. Let's not put our hope in a building. But instead, let's cross the road as the church, ready to lay down our lives and our comfort all over again, the sure and the absolute certain truth that Jesus has gone before us and is waiting just over there, arms wide, ready to receive us. Some hope in chariots, and some in horses, and some in buildings. But we, BCV, trust in the name of the Lord our God. You ready to go? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Why do you stand? Some of us, this has nothing to do with a building. We desperately need something to pin our hope on for all of life. Some of us wouldn't call ourselves followers of Jesus. Today is a great day to stake your hope on the one that won't let you die. If you want to do that, we want to pray for you. We'll be a prayer ministry team up here in a moment. There's, I was going to say a challenge. It's not a challenge. It's an invitation. There's an invitation to come as the church. It's wide open. Holy Spirit, would you breathe? Would you breathe? Come, breath of God. Come, hover over us. Come prepare our hearts. (coughs) Come realign our priorities. Come change our lands. Come in your gentle, strong (laughs) pool. And call us to more than we think we're capable of. Come breathe hope. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, could we catch a glimpse of you, of your beauty, of your breathtaking perfection? And would it be enough to sustain us? Come, Holy Spirit. going to come to a close in just a moment. The prayer ministry team will be up here. If there's anything stirring of of any of what we've talked about, we want to pray for you. If you need hope in any circumstance of your life, we want to pray for you. If you feel that tug from the Lord that actually this is time, it's time to stop coming to church and start coming as church, we want to pray for you. And if there's anything else, Physical, emotional, spiritual, at all, and all. We're going to pray for you. That's a lot of things we want to pray for. Don't miss it. If you've got kids, would you mind collecting them first from the kids' rooms and then coming back? But I'm going to close this. God, would you send us from this place? And in the week, in in the couple of weeks to come, would you prepare us to step into a home ready to partner with you in seeing the kingdom come? Do all you need to do in us so that you can do all you want to do through us. Come have your way. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.